Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover dysmenorrhea and endometriosis in the adolescent patient. In December of 2018, the ACOG released a committee opinion number 760 dealing with dysmenorrhea and endometriosis in the adolescent patient. In that committee opinion, it reminds us that dysmenorrhea or menstrual pain is the most common menstrual symptom among adolescent girls and young women. Prevalent rates vary, but the prevalence rates are anywhere from 50% to 90% because of the high prevalence of dysmenorrhea in adolescents and the extent of its potential daily interference, OBG GYN physicians should be prepared to diagnose and treat the condition. Most adolescents experiencing dysmenorrhea have primary dysmenorrhea. Remember, that's defined as painful menstruation in the absence of pelvic pathology. Primary dysmenorrhea characteristically begins when adolescents attain ovulatory cycles, usually from 6 to 12 months after menarche. The pathophysiology is related to prostaglandins and leukotrienes, both mediators of inflammation. One study that measured prostaglandin F2-alpha activity in menstrual fluid from tampons found that dysmenorrheic women had twice the prostaglandin F2-alpha activity levels as eumenorrheic women. Secondary dysmenorrhea refers to painful menses due to pelvic pathology or a recognized medical condition. The most common cause of secondary dysmenorrhea is endometriosis. Other causes of secondary dysmenorrhea include adenomyosis, infection, myomas, malurian anomalies, obstructive reproductive tract abnormalities, or ovarian cysts. Now, in contrast to dysmenorrhea, chronic pelvic pain is defined as pain in the pelvic area that lasts from three to six months or longer and can be constant, intermittent, cyclic, or acyclic. The initial evaluation of all patients presenting with dysmenorrhea includes a medical, gynecological, menstrual, family, and psychosocial history to determine whether the patient has primary or secondary dysmenorrhea. When a patient presents with symptoms only of primary dysmenorrhea, a pelvic examination is not necessary. However, according to the college, a pelvic exam should be conducted if symptoms of a sexually transmitted infection are present. Clinicians should suspect secondary dysmenorrhea if the patient reports severe dysmenorrhea immediately after menarche or progressively worsening dysmenorrhea, abnormal uterine bleeding, mid-cyclic or acyclic pain, infertility, or if there's a lack of response to empiric medical treatment. Lastly, secondary dysmenorrhea should also be considered if the patient has dyspareunia. Furthermore, to minimize delays in diagnosis and treatment, OBGYN providers should be aware of cultural differences in attitudes about menstruation that may affect how comfortable a patient is in discussing menstrual-related symptoms. Parental modeling may also play an important role in how a young patient reports and perceives pain as well as her anxiety about experiencing pain during her menstruation. All right, so here's a clinical pearl. Since we've already introduced secondary dysmenorrhea, remember, 
endometriosis is the leading cause of secondary dysmenorrhea in adolescents. Endometriosis should be considered in patients with persistent, clinically significant dysmenorrhea despite treatment with hormonal agents and NSAIDs, particularly if no other etiology for chronic pain or secondary dysmenorrhea has been identified based on history, physical exam, and pelvic ultrasound. Family history of endometriosis should also raise suspicion because patients with an affected first-degree relative have a 7 to 10-fold increased risk of developing endometriosis themselves. To assess the effects of the symptoms on the functionality of the adolescent, it may be helpful to ask if they are missing school or participation in sports or other extracurricular activities. Endometriosis is the most common finding in young women undergoing laparoscopy for chronic pelvic pain. Although the true prevalence of endometriosis in adolescents is unknown, at least two-thirds of adolescent girls with chronic pelvic pain or significant dysmenorrhea, unresponsive to hormonal therapies and NSAIDs, will be diagnosed with endometriosis at the time of diagnostic laparoscopy. Okay, when we come back, let's cover the management of primary dysmenorrhea and the workup of suspected secondary dysmenorrhea. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When the patient's history suggests primary dysmenorrhea, empiric treatment should be initiated. Medical, as well as complementary and alternative therapies, are potential treatment options for the relief of pain. Because NSAIDs interrupt cyclooxygenase-mediated prostaglandin production, they are considered first-line treatment options for primary dysmenorrhea in any patient. OBGYNs and other clinicians should recommend NSAID dosage on an individual basis. Medication use is most effective when started one to two days before the onset of menses and continued through the first two to three days of bleeding. Now, if a trial of NSAIDs does not provide adequate relief of dysmenorrhea symptoms, consideration should be given to the use of hormonal agents, which also are ideally suited as a first-line option. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs may be continued or added to hormonal therapy as needed. Several hormonal contraceptives are beneficial for the treatment of dysmenorrhea, including combined oral contraceptives, the contraceptive patch, the vaginal ring, the single-rod contraceptive progestin implant, intramuscular or subcutaneous depomedroxyprogesterone, and the levonorgestrel-releasing intrauterine system. For primary dysmenorrhea, complementary, and alternative therapies, given the low risk of harm and low cost of heat therapy and exercise, as well as the additional general health benefits of exercise, both options should be encouraged. Dietary supplements for which there may be limited evidence to suggest a potential benefit includes the use of fenugreek, ginger, valerian, zinc, fish oil, and vitamin B1. Now, a recent study of adolescent girls with a mean age of 40 
14 to 15 demonstrated a decrease in the prevalence of dysmenorrhea when taking high-dose vitamin D weekly for nine weeks. However, other studies show limited effect for vitamin D for this condition. Regardless of which therapy is chosen for presumed primary dysmenorrhea, patients with a presumed diagnosis of primary dysmenorrhea should be monitored for response to treatment. Response to treatment of primary dysmenorrhea supports the diagnosis. In general, treatment can be continued for anywhere of two to four months with follow-up occurring periodic to make sure that they are not having deterioration of symptoms. Okay, when we come back, let's start the evaluation of suspected secondary dysmenorrhea. Remember, most patients, most adolescents who present with dysmenorrhea will have primary dysmenorrhea and will respond to empiric therapy with NSAIDs, hormonal suppression, or both. However, some patients either present initially with symptoms suggesting secondary dysmenorrhea or they fail empiric treatment for primary dysmenorrhea and will require further eval. Additionally, if a patient has pain for three to six months, a more comprehensive evaluation of chronic pelvic pain should be performed. This includes a detailed history and a focused physical to assess potential GI, urological, musculoskeletal, and psychosocial aspects of etiologies for pain. Pelvic imaging with ultrasound, regardless of findings on pelvic exam, should also be considered during the evaluation for secondary dysmenorrhea. Ultrasound is the most appropriate initial screening modality to identify potential etiologies of secondary dysmenorrhea, including obstructive reproductive tract abnormalities, uterine myomas, and adnexal masses with endometriomas. Ultrasound can also be helpful in the diagnosis of ovarian endometriomas, but is not useful for non-ovarian endometriotic lesions. Although subsequent MRI imaging may be necessary to further delineate Mullerian anomalies, it is not cost-effective as an initial screening tool. Now, although MRI is likely to be equally as sensitive as ultrasound in diagnosing ovarian endometriomas, it does not appear to be useful for identifying endometriotic peritoneal lesions or determining the extent of disease. A normal pelvic ultrasound or physical does not eliminate the possibility of endometriosis. Now, if ultrasound or physical exam finds any obstructive abnormality of the reproductive tract, whether it's hymenal, vaginal, or malurian, these items can cause secondary dysmenorrhea and should be surgically corrected when discovered. Now, although the true prevalence of endometriosis in adolescence is unknown, remember that we've already stated that in at least two-thirds of adolescent girls with chronic pain or dysmenorrhea unresponsive to hormonal therapies and NSAIDs, two-thirds of these will be diagnosed with endometriosis at the time of diagnostic laparoscopy. Now, talking about diagnostic laparoscopy, here's a good clinical pearl. The appearance of endometriosis may be different in adolescents than in the adult woman. In adolescents, endometriotic lesions are typically clear or red and can be difficult to identify for gynecologists unfamiliar with endometriosis in adolescents. If a patient is undergoing a diagnostic laparoscopy for dysmenorrhea, or chronic pain, or both. Consideration should be given to placing a levonorgestrel-releasing intrauterine system at the time of laparoscopy to minimize the pain of insertion.
Now, recommended treatment for endometriosis in adolescence is conservative surgical therapy for diagnosis and treatment combined with ongoing suppressive medical therapies to prevent endometrial proliferation. Patients with endometriosis who have pain refractory to conservative surgical therapy and suppressive hormonal therapy often benefit from at least six months of a gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonist therapy with ADBAC medication. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs should be the mainstay of pain relief for all adolescents with endometriosis. Adolescents should not be prescribed narcotics long-term to manage endometriosis outside of a specialized pain management team. In adolescents being treated with a GnRH agonist, these patients should begin ADBAC hormone therapy at the initiation of treatment to prevent bone loss and avoid the onset of menopausal symptoms. In a 2017 trial in adolescents, ADBAC therapy using a combination of conjugated equine estrogen at a dose of 0.625 mg and norethindrone acetate 5 mg daily was superior to norethindrone acetate alone when comparing quality of life outcomes and preservation of bone density. DEXA scanning is not needed before initiation of therapy during GnRH agonist treatment of less than 12 months in duration or after treatment completion. Remember that OBGYN providers and all clinicians should counsel patients on adequate dietary calcium and vitamin D intake when they are on GnRH agonist therapy to help with health maintenance. After Lupron is discontinued, patients should begin continuous hormone suppression as therapy. In summary, remember that dysmenorrhea or menstrual pain is the most common menstrual symptom among adolescent girls and young women. Most adolescents experiencing dysmenorrhea will have primary dysmenorrhea, defined as painful menstruation in the absence of pelvic pathology. When the patient's history suggests primary dysmenorrhea, empiric treatment should be initiated. When a patient does not experience clinical improvement or symptoms worsen in three to six months, or the patient has symptoms of some other process like abnormal discharge or pain with intercourse, a search for secondary dysmenorrhea causes should begin. Remember that endometriosis is the leading cause of secondary dysmenorrhea in adolescence, and it should be considered in patients that have persistent, clinically significant dysmenorrhea despite treatment with hormonal agents and NSAIDs, particularly if no other etiology for the chronic pain or for the secondary dysmenorrhea can be found. Endometriosis in adolescents is considered a chronic disease with potential for progression if left untreated. The goals of therapy should include symptom relief, suppression of disease progression, and protection of future pregnancies. Therapy must be individualized, and OBGYNs should consider patient choice, the need for contraception, contraindications to hormone use, and potential adverse effects, and counsel the adolescent and her family on treatment options. Preservation of future fertility is key in those with suspected or confirmed endometriosis. That's our review of Committee Opinion 760 from December 2018. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.